The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. So thrilled to have you here with us on a Thursday morning. We're going to be with you live for the next two hours. We're going to talk about autism from a 360-degree perspective, and we've got some amazing experts who are going to be joining us to answer your questions and to talk about some pretty interesting topics. So all of this is meant to be completely interactive. We want your input. We want your feedback. We want your questions. This show is meant to be a conversation between all of us. I always like to say here on the show that when we use the full amount of our resources pretty much anything is possible. And and I, if you're new to us and joining us today, I want to welcome you because I think that Autism Live is a great and growing resource. We want to encourage you to participate in whatever way makes sense for your life, whether you're a parent, teacher, practitioner, and you're looking for some practical tips about how do I create an environment in which more progress is going to happen with this individual uh, or this group of individuals that I'm working with, uh, or you yourself are on the autism spectrum and you have something to say and you have things that you want help and, and gaining resources to, we want to be here to connect you to the things that are going to help you to get where you want to go. There's so much that's going on in the autism community. And yes, there isn't enough. Uh, I'm never going to sit here and say to you that, oh, well, you know, we, we solved this. We can all go home and there's enough resources for everything that's out there. No, that's not the reality. But the truth is, is there are many different things. And if we can connect the dots, uh, we can help you to find the resources that you're looking for. Whether you're, you are brand new to this and your child is two years old and just was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, or you have a teenager who is on the spectrum and you're trying to figure out that difficult transition to adulthood, or you yourself, you know, are on the spectrum and older and saying, I have something valid to bring to this conversation about what I think needs to be happening legislatively and educationally with our kids who are on the spectrum. Everybody gets a voice here, right? And there are resources for everyone here to help you as you make that progress. So we hope you'll participate. Emily's going to show you some of the varied ways that you can get in touch with us here. I'll remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, you'll see that we have a, a, a lovely website that's there and many different things you can do, including check out our blog. But you'll also see a computer screen. If you click on the little triangle that's there you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show and scroll through those recently recorded live shows off to the side you'll see that there's a place where it will tell you what question we're answering right now from our viewers at home and there's a place for you to input the answer that the question or the answer uh, that you would like to 
add to the conversation. It's totally free. I am so proud of the fact that everything that we do here for you is free. And I hope that we can continue that happening. And the way that you can help for us to continue that happening is by spreading the word. Let others know that this is happening. When we get higher viewership, we're able to do more things. There's some things on my to-do list, my wish list, that if we had some more viewers, I think we could make a reality, right? Um, so uh, in any case, type the information that you want in there, hit enter. It shows up here on my screen. There is, screen, there is a bit of a time lag. It's about a minute, minute and a half. So especially when we have guests who are here, make sure that you enter your question early and not at the end, because then the guest leaves and then I see the question and uh, it makes me unhappy because I feel like I've let you, let you down. So put your questions in early and often, just like what they say about voting, vote early and often. Um, and that way, that's the best formula I can give you for getting your questions answered in real time. But by the way, you don't have to be watching the live show to pose a question of a guest that we have on the show. A lot of our guests are recurring guests and we always have a way of getting in contact with them. So let's say that you were watching the show on Tuesday. Uh, well, let's say you were watching Tuesday's show, but you were watching it on Friday. You saw Deborah Hosseini from The Art of Autism and you say, oh, I really wanted to ask her a question. You still can. Just go on the live feature. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week and say, I have a question for Deborah Hosseini from Art of Autism I want to know. And I will make sure that that question gets to Deborah and we'll get you an answer. Um, it's always best since we don't know who you are. You have complete an anonymity on that live feature. If you specifically want us to get back to you, not just answering it here on the live show, make sure you include some information of how we can get back to you and be clear about what it is you'd like for us to get back to you about. Um, if it's a study that you heard us talking about and you want to know how to access the study, make sure that you uh, are, are very detailed with that. All right. I'd like to remind you at the start of the show that I will be talking about autism, but I am not an expert. We have experts on the show and I'm always thrilled to bring you the experts. I'm thrilled to hear the experts because I'm a parent. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. That was uh, a life shift for me. And if somebody had said to me uh, eight and a half years ago that I would be sitting here and talking to you about autism in this format, I would have laughed myself off the chair. Uh, <laughs> That was not what I had planned, right? Uh, but life has a way of saying, excuse me, excuse me, uh, there's something I want to talk to you about. You need to look over here. And so here we are, and I couldn't be more grateful because my child ha has made incredible progress and continues to make a, a make incredible progress because of the information and resources, the kinds of things that we talk about on this show. I have a lot to pay forward. So I want you to know it's personal with me when you write in and say, hey, I need some help about this. Uh, I take it very personally and, and want to help you in any way that I can. So take advantage of that. I, who, how many other people are out there saying that to you? Bring it. Bring it. Be a part of the family. I always say, si se puede, we can do this. If we share resources and if we share information, there's so much that we can do. All right, I'll get off my soapbox for a second. In any case, we like to start out the morning with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is the jargon du jour when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym, and we try to make sense of it within our lives. This, I was absolutely adamant about this when we were formulating the show and 
the show's gone through lots of changes, but I've kept the jargon of the day because I think it's important. It's, you know, we can talk about all kinds of things, but if we don't understand the terms that the experts use, we're not going to get as far as we could. So we cycle through these terms and I, I hear you guys asking questions and I know you're getting it. You make me so proud. Uh, and this helps me too, because uh, there, I need to go back over these terms and go, okay, wait, that's what that is. And that's how I can use it with my child. So today's jargon, I'm told, is one that we've never used in its purest form before. Uh, so that's very kind of exciting. We've talked about it in lots of other aspects, but today our term is prompt. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this means being on time. Um, and that's not what it means in the autism community. And this is how the jargon can be very confusing. If you are somebody who has previously taught English, then what you think is that it's something that gets somebody started. You're getting warm now. Let's take a look at what our actual definition of a prompt is when we're talking about it within ABA. ABA, of course, being Applied Behavior Analysis, which is the only scientifically proven effective treatment for autism that helps all kids with autism. It also helps all individuals, right? Um, so in any case, I know there is no one size fits all with autism. There isn't. And what helps one child is going to be vastly different from what helps another child. But ABA is going to be effective at creating some form of progress with all of our kids. So it's one of the reasons why insurance companies are funding it. It's one of the reasons why we talk about it. It's There are lots of things that we talk about. Don't get me wrong. ABA is not everything in in terms of autism, um, but it's certainly a really important component that we can talk about that works for all of our kids. And by the way, it doesn't just work for three-year-olds, it works for 18-year-olds as well, because it works for 88-year-olds. And it doesn't just work for individuals on the spectrum, it works for all of us. So if you're wanting to, you know, change a behavior in your significant other, we'll talk about that later, ABA. And <laughs> anyway, so prompt. Uh, this is an added stimulus that increases the probability that the SD will occasion the desired response. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why we do the jargon of the day. Because great, okay, I walked into this jargon thinking that prompt meant being on time. Now I've got somebody tell me, telling me it's an added stimulus. What? And that increases the probability that the SD what on earth are we talking about? Okay, those are jargon that we'll focus on in another day. And this is why we don't just give you the actual definition, we also give you a working definition. So our working definition is a prompt is a cue or some form of assistance given to encourage the desired response from a learner. So we do this all the time as parents. We prompt things all the time and we do this as teachers all the time. We may not know that that's what we're doing, but we're we're, we're prompting. So if your child is there and you're saying goodbye to someone and you say to your child, say goodbye, that's a prompt. That's a verbal prompt. You're prompting the child, telling them, this is what I want you to do. It's a cue, it's a form of assistance, and it's trying to encourage the the right response from the learner. I'm trying to teach my child to say goodbye, or to say thank you, or to say you're welcome. So I'm prompting them. Now, when my child is just learning how to say thank you, I probably am going to, depending on their receptive language, what they're able to hear and understand, 
understand. I'm a verbal cue might be the ideal thing, right? I might say, what do you, uh, I might say, say thank you. I'm actually telling them exactly what to say. But then further on down the line, we don't do that anymore, right? We say, what do you say? Because uh, they already know the response, but we're still cueing it, right? It's just a step back. Um, and with prompts, we always want to be doing that because we always want to be pulling our prompts back to where they still work, right? We don't want to prompt so pull the prompts back so far that the child looks at us and goes, what? So when we say, what do you say? And the child's like, I have no idea what you want me to say in this instance, right? Then we'd have to go back to say thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you. Great. We got the desired response. Yeah, we had to prompt it. But the truth of the matter is, is we have to do that a lot before anyone learns anything and with our kids on the autism spectrum we have to prompt that much more we have to give them that many more opportunities and it's probably going to take us a little bit longer patience right so important though that we remember to fade prompts over time like i said you're probably already doing this in your life but when you go now to your child's clinic or you're talking to your child's teacher or their therapist and they're saying well we're going to prompt and we're going to fade the prompt you're going to know what it is they're talking about but remember a prompt isn't necessarily just a verbal prompt, right? Sometimes a prompt is a physical prompt. Uh, a physical prompt, if, if I'm wanting a child to touch a button, I might do a hand over hand full physical prompt and very gently, but firmly, not hurting anybody, not leaving any marks, uh, I'm, I'm gonna say touch the button and I guide their hand over, not the big huge struggle, right? This is not torture, but I guide their hand over and I tell yes, good job, you touched the button. Now that's a full physical prompt. So if I say to a child, touch the button, and I do this and I go, yes, you touched the button, the child goes, oh, I don't, I'm not sure what I did, but they're happy, great. And I say, touch the button. Now the child, depending on their rate of learning, might automatically reach over and touch the button and I go, yes, that's amazing. And I give the child something wonderful because they did it all on their own. A lot of kids aren't gonna be able to do it the second time without a physical prompt but I'm not gonna keep full physical prompting because they're never gonna do it on their own. That's not learning. So I'm gonna fade that prompt over time. So I'll say, touch the button, and I might wait a millisecond, and my hand might come over and just very lightly lay hand over hand, not full, hand over hand, and, and gently you know, guide over, yes, good, good, good job. Then the next time my hand might come and not even touch them, but move with them to remind them, right? The next time my hand might just point, right? I'm fading that prompt, and then eventually the child does it on their own. Now, sometimes you fade the prompt too fast. So let's say that I, I get to the point where I point and the child doesn't do it, right? When that happens, you go back to the last prompt that was successful. You don't go all the way back to the beginning, you go back to the one that was successful. So the very gentle hand, you know, almost touching, not touching, worked, I go back to that. And if that doesn't work, then I go back one step further. There are other kinds of prompts as well. We can do, um, uh, a textural textual prompt where I hold, hold up uh, a sign that says you know what it is that I want them to do we have this all over the place in our lives uh, when when we don't we walk into a business and we don't know where to stand in line and it says line forms here that's a textural prompt their textual prompt that they're wanting a, they're giving us text telling us what they want us to do yes some people still go stand in the place where it says pay here right and then somebody else 
else will say to them, hey, this is where the line is, right? Uh, so they get the verbal prompt. This doesn't stop when children turn a certain age, right? We do this with adults all the time. Uh, we can give a model prompt. So if I want the child to cover their mouth when they cough, I might go like this and cover my mouth. And I might do it with my elbow to show them what we, the way we're supposed to be teaching them now. I'm modeling the behavior that I want them to do. Lots of different kinds of prompts. We participate in this all the time. So important that we know what a prompt is, how we use it, all the different kinds of prompts that we can use to cue that behavior and how to fade them successfully so that eventually the child is doing it completely on their own. Prompts are a great teaching tool, a great teaching tool. So we encourage you to use them. And now you know that's what it's called. You were doing it before. Uh, it's not a new concept, but now that you know, well, now you can start to think about it and think, okay, well, you know, this thing that I've been trying to teach my child, have I used all these different kinds of prompts to try to make this behavior happen? Have I? Have I modeled this behavior? I haven't. Maybe I'll go back and do that. And sometimes that can be a really great way of looking at things. All right. Uh, that's our jargon for today. Moving on, we always have a question of the day for you. We love asking you these questions and seeing your responses on our Facebook page. We encourage you to go there. It's Autism Live on Facebook. I also would encourage you to like it and share it with other people. Uh, spread the word. We're here. We're here for people and it's a free resource. And then answer the question of the day. And our question today is, what helps you to stop procrastinating? Oh my goodness. I don't know about you, but I, I am really good at procrastinating. Uh, <laughs> it's something I have perfected over time. And, and sometimes I thoroughly enjoy it, which is really, really wrong. There's a bunch of new studies, though, on procrastination, and hopefully we'll have a little bit of time later on today to talk about that. But in the meantime, we want to know from you guys, what helps you to stop procrastinating? I have to be honest that I, and I shared a little bit about this the other day, I like to play little games with myself. Um, I read a great article the other day, um, and, I, and I wrote down the, the author was James Clear. Clear as in C-L-E-A-R. And uh, he talks about the two-minute rule, and it's pretty much something that I do from time to time. We talked about chunking last week, um, but this idea of when things are really horrible or harder, I just don't feel like doing them. If I say to myself, I just have to do it for this amount of time, uh, he says, you know, give yourself the two-minute thing and say, I just have to do it for two minutes. And then a lot of times you discover, oh, this isn't so bad. I'm just going to keep doing it, right? Um, I, you know, some I hate doing housework. I just hate it. I don't know about the rest of you. Um, I I love having a clean house, but I really hate doing housework. And, and there are times when I just, you know, doing the dishes, I just think is one of the least gratifying things on the face of the planet. I, I'd be happy to come to your house and do dishes. I find it very relaxing to go to somebody else's house and do dishes and wash them. But when it's my own dishes, I don't know why it's so overwhelming to me. I could just weep. Um, but so I make it a game and I learned as a teenager to do that, just make it a game. Uh, and so, you know, if we're watching something on TV, I'll say, okay, I, I don't have to load the entire dishwasher. Or I don't have to unload the entire dishwasher. I just have to put in, you know, 10 things. Um, and as soon as I do 10 things, then I can stop. And you know, some days 
uh, I'll put 10 things and I'll go, great, my program's back on, I'm done, I, you know, that's all I'm going to do for right now, but if I do that for three commercials, pretty much that's it, right? A lot of times what happens though is I say, well, I'm just going to put 10 things in and the commercials are still running and I end up finishing and loading the entire dishwasher. So uh, that's what helps me is turning things into a game and taking the pressure off and having some aspect of it that's rewarding for me uh, of, oh, well, it's just, I just have to do this, making it shorter and, uh, you know, and can I, sometimes it'll be, you know, can I get 45 things in the dishwasher before the commercial is over uh, or before the timer goes on the microwave because I'm making something uh, for somebody and, you know, I've got a minute and a half, how much can I get done in that minute and a half? To me, for some reason, that works for me. Uh, I, you know. It's different people, different strokes, right? Uh, so, uh, but we want to know what helps you because maybe it's something that would also help us. So, oh, there we go. Okay. I For a minute, the, the live feature, I said it's up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and for a minute, it was not up. So there we are. We're back now. If you want to be writing something in on the live feature, it is back up now. All right. Uh, so that's our question for the day. I'm procrastinating going on to the topic of the week, so let's stop that. Uh, we always have a topic of the week, and this week, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we talked about chunking last week. This week, we're talking about kicking it up a notch and taking action. It's so easy so easy to get overwhelmed and as an autism parent oh my goodness I, I I remember the day that I sat in my living room and said I have used the word overwhelmed so many times I'm not even sure that I know what it means and I looked it up in the dictionary to see what does overwhelmed mean and and then I wanted to look up what whelmed means because if you're overwhelmed what is whelmed and whelmed is underwater so when you're overwhelmed you're overdoing being underwater. I think it's a pretty apt dis description of what it feels to be an autism parent a lot of the time. Uh, I think all of us, whether we're autism parents or not, get overwhelmed. Um, but I know for a fact that being an autism parent can be very overwhelming. Balancing what what you need to do with what you can do with what you might be able to do with what you should know and don't know ah, right it's easy to get so frenetic that i used to say i would become the amazing paralyzed woman uh that there were so many things to do that i would just stop and freeze and go i i, I can't even move um so it's really important for me personally to remember that every day I got to take a little bit of action, that it's amazing what can happen when we take just one little action every day. Uh, it puts it in a bite-sized morsel, makes it much easier to handle, reduces our stress. In fact, we talked about on Tuesday when you take a little action, it doesn't have to be a huge action, a little action. So today we're going to be talking about, we talked on Tuesday about what we can do for ourselves. Today we're going to talk a little bit about taking some action on some key things having to do with uh, our children who are on the autism spectrum, whether they are three years old or they are 15, knowing when to start, where to start, and and teach skills, but also being able to look at the other side of it, how to, how to reduce some of the behaviors that are really hard to crack, right? I've got two great experts that are going to be with us to talk about both of those things. So what we have going on on the show today, uh, we, we, we will 
Yes, I need to breathe. Uh, we will be joined in just a few minutes by Dr. Adele Nadowski. We call that segment Real Progress with Dr. Adele. She helps us to be able to access things that we can do to teach our children new skills so that they can grow and progress. And when I say children, I'm not just talking, I'm talking about the people that we either brought into this planet or signed up to be responsible for in this planet. Because uh, sometimes our children are adults, right? Um, so talking about the full gamut of when we're parents and we're working with an individual on the spectrum and how we can help to create that real progress. But if you're a teacher practitioner, the same applies for you as well, right? Um, and then a little bit later, we're going to have time for a funding tip. I like to get to that whenever we possibly can because we can take some action right now today to help with funding. And then in the second hour, we're going to be joined by Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. I've asked him to come in and talk about what we know between research and experience about how to reduce those repetitive behaviors that appear to be automatically reinforced. How do we get at those behaviors and turn those behaviors around to either make them functional or to have them fade into the distance and have something else take its place? Um, I know it's a burning question for a lot of us who have kids on the autism spectrum, so Dr. Tarbox will be here to talk about that with us. All right. Uh, all of that and ever so much more, including your questions. I know you guys have written some things in already for our guests. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back after these messages. When you find out you're having a boy, you always think like, oh, he's going to play football. He's going to do this and that. And then when he's diagnosed, all those things get washed away. It's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind, you know, where is he, what is he doing, is he safe? We really didn't know what we were dealing with. I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information. I was a young mom. I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism. Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. ACT Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grandpichet, is an amazing woman. And she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. 
you don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The AT grant was a total miracle. Without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog. So we're so appreciative what they've done for us as a family. Recently, Act Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. We're ready? There you go, got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp and they're with people who are supporting them and they're making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart, so it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are joined right now by our very special guest, Dr. Adele Nadowski. Welcome. Nice to see you again. Good to see you. And we call this segment with you Real Progress with Dr. Adele because I love how you get into how it's our topic for this week of taking action. And you okay. are very helpful with, uh, I know with me as a parent and with other people of saying, you know, this is how we're gonna get into action. This is all manageable and, and helping us to access how we teach skills to our kids. Yes. Um, and, and we should say that you were one of the co-creators of Skills, uh, a product that we talk about. It's a tool that we talk a lot about on the show. And, and at some point, I'm sure that we'll be talking about that with this discussion. But I asked Dr. Nadowski to talk with us today about where do we start? And I just filled her in on the fact that yesterday during Ask Dr. Doreen, and, and we had this topic scheduled anyway, but sometimes <laughs> it's just kismet. We, we had a parent who wrote in yesterday and said, there's a bunch of behaviors that my child is engaging in, and there's a bunch of things that my child can't do. And, you know, we could sense the overwhelm yeah. from this parent. And, and I was talking about, you know, sometimes we sit and we look at the sea of things that our kid is behind in. And there's so much to be done and we don't feel empowered and and the first step is knowing where to start yeah and that can be 
really enough to stop us in our tracks right there. Yeah, and the absolute real first step is figuring out what are the deficiencies because you might be saying that um, someone knows that their child is not engaging in a lot of skills or they're missing a lot of things, but they might actually not know exactly what those are. They just yeah. know they're not doing things. You know what I mean? And and I think it's so important that we talk about, you know, about that because every child is going to be different and where their deficits are going to be different. Yeah. And, and I always think of it like a sweater, that you're knitting a sweater and, and you get, you know, two rows in, but you drop a stitch. So there's a hole in the sweater and you keep, you keep stitching and there's other stitches that are there, but there's a hole way back in row two. Yeah. And if you don't have proper assessment done to try to figure out what all the holes are and you're just going off of kind of like, you know, what, what you kind of see every day, you might start trying to teach something and um, your son or daughter may not be getting it and you don't know why and it turns out that there's a hole back here yeah. that is a prerequisite to this thing you're trying to teach right now yeah. and you're just kind of like up against a wall and it's not working. And you get frustrated and they get frustrated when the reality was that you didn't start at the right lesson. Yeah. It's easy to do. Teachers do this all the time because they're supposed to be teaching the curriculum, right? But you can't teach the curriculum if the hole is two years back. Yeah, that can happen in uh, regular education, for example, if a kid is allowed to pass and go to the next grade, but they're really missing some foundational skills from the previous grade. If They'll review in the beginning, but if they're not getting it, they're moving on. Yeah. And so now things really fall apart because it's these other things that never were solid. Right. And we're already working on something that's too advanced now. Yeah, and it just it gets so overwhelming but the good news is is when you identify where the hole is and you go back and repair that hole the structure of the whole sweater gets that much stronger <laughs> exactly, right yeah and and we have seen this time and time again and if anybody is a teacher you know this when you can identify what the, the skill is that the child is deficient in and you can fill that hole then the child makes huge leaps forward yeah. Because they're able to take all the other things they know and, and and put that together with this skill, and then they can fly. It's really very powerful. But for a parent, we go, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where to start, and I don't know where the holes are. So getting an assessment yeah. got to be the first thing. Yeah, so I would recommend um, doing some sort of curriculum assessment. Um, skills is one option, obviously, but there's many others out there as well. And um, figuring out where all the holes are. And then from there, look at each of your options. Okay, now I've done this assessment and it probably will produce some sort of a result for you to show you, you know, the different areas of development and where your child's lying within those. So then you're gonna see, okay, sh uh, she has major deficits in her language and whatever, but not in this other area. So then you prioritize and you say, okay, how much am I gonna really work with my child? If I'm gonna be doing 40 hours a week, I can work on a lot. If I'm only gonna be doing 10 hours a week, I have to pick only a few. So that's a huge, yeah, it's huge there. determinant. But I, I want to go back to the assessment just a little bit because, um, you know, we mentioned there's lots of different ways that you can get an assessment. I would say, though, that, you know, you can go and, and, and go to a center and get an assessment, but if you don't sit down with them afterwards and go through that assessment with a fine-tooth comb, all you're going to have is an assessment and your teachers and your ABA providers will know where the holes are, but you as a parent won't know. Yeah, and actually that's a good point um, because sometimes assessments, the way they produce the results just kind of show like your child's age equivalence or something like that for where are they um, functioning right now in a particular area. So let's say that they're actually eight years old chronologically, but they do this assessment and they find out 
they're functioning at a four-year-old level at like their language skills or something. So then you go, okay, so I know that they're really behind, <laughs> but you don't know what language skills right. you need to work yeah, on. Yeah, that's so useful to me. We're um, behind, <laughs> but I still don't know where to start, right? And, right. And we're, we're, and we're laughing about this because it's the ridiculousness of it. But the truth of the matter is, is that when that happens, you feel like, uh, yeah. great, so now you I know we're behind. You don't really want an assessment that just produces a quotient or a score or something that just tells you what how old your child is functioning at for where they should be or something yeah. like that. You actually need something that actually links to curriculum. So if you're going to do some kind of assessment, make sure that you're looking for something that has a link to curriculum because yeah. if it doesn't link, then now you're um, being given the duty of going through that assessment item by item, picking out the ones, okay, reading the item, okay, what could I do to teach that, and then coming up with some sort of activity or lesson. It's a lot more work. Yeah, you can get into the really overwhelmed. Now, I will say that um, you were a part of skills and, and creating skills, and you had this in mind, so there is an assessment portion of skills that's it's quite extensive. Yeah. Uh, every question that you could possibly think of in there, it will take some time. It's an investment in your child. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I've been um, kind of laughing about this lately is um, I've been meeting with all of these card families, uh -huh. and we're going over their child's skills accounts, and um, most of them filled out the assessment like two years ago, uh -huh. and so they're not mad about it anymore. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Um, so basically, uh, it's fun for us to joke around, and I say, like, at first they don't even remember what it is. Isn't that funny? Like, you go through oh, all this man. pain doing something, and then yes. um, you say, like, that was awful, and then you literally forget, and it's not a big deal anymore. Yeah. But then I remind them, Didn't, do you remember sitting down and answering a lot of questions where you wanted to pull your hair out, and they, oh, that thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember and now. So, and, and I'm glad that you say that and reference that, because that is how you will feel. <laughs> uh, and you can't do it all in one day, and you can't do it all in one week, I don't think, even. Uh, unless you were really motivated and had really good child care, uh, yeah. you know, you got to pace yourself because you want to answer the questions appropriately. And, and it is frustrating because they ask you questions and there are times when you have an emotional response and you're like, really, is he supposed to be able to do that? I didn't even know he was supposed to be able to do that. And then you get bogged in the emotion, right? But, but it's so worth it. Having said all of those things, it's so worth it because I'm a visual person. And when I was done, I had so many different visual ways that I could look at and go, Oh my goodness, I didn't know that my child's receptive language is that high. I didn't know that I had that plus for my child. And look where his expressive language is, and look where he is with this. And I could see exactly how far behind he was in a picture. Yeah, and, and where. And it's a lot of work up front, but it's front loaded work that later goes away because once you've done it, you're done with it and yeah. you don't have to do it anymore. Um, you, the way that it works, it just keeps updating as you're. Um, finding the lessons that are linked to the def deficiencies, yeah. then you introduce them and then you master them and you move to the next thing. Yeah. And if in that process you realize he learned something along the way, then you'll give him credit for that too. And the whole system tracks and everything like that. So, um, and also people don't have to answer all the questions before yep. they can get started. They can oh, work yeah. on a few, everything's in levels, goes from level one to 12. They could just start in levels one, two, and three for a little while yeah. and then come back later. Or, or you could pick an area. If you know that your child, you your area of concern, and we're going to talk about priorities in a second. If you know your area of concern is social, just go in and answer the social skills questions and start to work on those. Exactly. And eventually when you have more time, you can go and answer the ones in the other seven curricular areas. Um, so it's really, I think it's wonderful even if you've already gone and had a big professional assessment that you paid for, I still think it's worth it to do the skills assessment. I always say it empowers the parent and all of that work that you've done in that assessment will come in handy in so many ways that you can't even imagine. It 
I did not expect that that work was going to make my IEP process so much easier, mm -hmm. but it did. Yeah. That was not one of the payoffs that I was planning on, and yet it did. So I encourage you to do that. You can go to Skills for it's Skills for Autism. Yeah. Is the place to go. Dot com. Dot com, and and you can check that out, and you can check out all of Skills. But then when we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, okay, once you've done the assessment and you know where the deficits are and hopefully you've got it tied to a curriculum like you would in skills, then how do you know which lessons do you start with? It's a whole other area. But uh, okay. Dr. Nadowski can tell you some really quick cheats that help you to be smarter than and more educated than you were five minutes ago. <laughs> so stick with us. Skills is an online program that provides assessment, curriculum, positive behavior support planning for challenging behavior, and progress tracking, and it does this all in one place. The Skills Assessment and Curriculum addresses eight areas of development, which even includes advanced higher level areas such as executive functions and cognition, which pretty much makes Skills the only ABA-based set of curricula for teaching more complex skills, things like problem solving, planning, self-management, perspective taking, and even inferring and predicting others' private events. Skills is a four-step system. Step one is to add the child to your account. Step two is to start assessment. The skills assessment is the only ABA-based assessment with psychometric research demonstrating the language subscale to have excellent reliability. Every area of human functioning and typical child development from infancy to adolescence was researched, making the skills assessment the most comprehensive of its kind in the world, and we're quite proud of that. Skills is easy to use. Simply click Start Assessment and begin answering questions, or simply type in a keyword find specific activities to assess, and add activities to treatment. Step 3. Choose activities. Once you've completed the assessment, Skills selects from a pool of 4,000 activities categorized by age, level, and skill type to provide you with exactly those activities each child needs. Start by choosing a curriculum, then a lesson, and finally an activity. Click the information icon to view prerequisites, ages in which targets develop, examples, and IEP goals. Click the video icon to watch a short video. Once you've identified an activity you want to teach, adding activities to treatment is a snap. Step 4. Start treatment. Here you can access customizable activity lesson details, add your own customized targets and exemplars, and edit an activity status such as introducing or mastering it. You can even print handouts such as worksheets, tracking forms, visual aids, and other materials. Skills also offers multiple progress charts, mapping curriculum progress, lesson progress, and cumulative number of activities and targets mastered over time. The Skills Language Curriculum is categorized by verbal behavior type so that users can identify progress for verbal operants, such as echoics, mans, tax, and interverbals. Skills is one of the only programs that provides the ability to write behavior intervention plans, or BIPs, for challenging behavior. With just a few clicks, the outline of the behavior intervention plan is written for you and ready to be printed and implemented. You can learn more about Skills today and get started by visiting us at www.skillsforautism.com or you can call us at 877-975-4559. Skills. Progress starts here.
Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here with Dr. Adele Nadowski for the segment that we call Real Progress with Dr. Adele. We've been talking about how do we start and where do we start when working on ABA with uh, one of our children. And when I say children, I'm not just talking about three-year-olds and four-year-olds. I'm saying our, the, our children, right? Our children can be adult children, right? Where do we start if we want to work on a skill? And uh, you were saying one of the first things we have to do is know where we are, where are the deficits deficits, where, where do we need to shore up? But once we get a really good assessment and have a really good picture of where we are and we know what the deficits are, I still feel as a parent that even if it's, and we talked about having it tied to a curriculum, like in skills, you can take the assessment, it's tied to a curriculum and give you a pool of lessons to pick from, but there's still the question of where do I start? Yeah. So help us, because I know you've got some great tips. Okay, so um, if you're using an assessment that's tied to a curriculum, the nice thing about that is it's going to be all probably in some sort of progression. Mm -hmm. So the progression might be developmental, like going by age level um, or going by some kind of level system. So sometimes it might be intermediate, I'm sorry, beginning, intermediate, advanced, um, or just start at certain age skills, things like that. So if you do the assessment, then you can kind of go down to the bottom of that mm -hmm. and look at the youngest skills that your child's missing. Um, or the items in the lowest level, like the beginning level, and figure out where those holes are, and those are good places to start. Um, but in doing that as well, um, you're going to probably find out that your child has deficits across a lot of different areas, and so you'll want to think about how much time you're going to commit to actually working on these things. And um, if you have a little bit of time, you're going to be more selective in what you're choosing. So you need to also think about what your priorities are for your child. So what are the main things that you feel like would make his life better or the whole family's uh, life function in a better way? And then if you have key things like that, like maybe toilet training is a real problem, then that might be one of the key ones. If he can't communicate his basic needs, then that might be one of them, that kind of stuff. But in addition to that, keep in mind that there's also some skills that are going to be um, pivotal skills that if you teach them, you're going to uh, be able to go so much further with them. And one of those um, is imitation skills. Okay. So um, if your child can't already imitate um, both verbally and um, gross motor actions, um, then that's going to hold them up a little bit from learning other skills. So for example, as we're teaching language concepts, we're going to have him repeat the things we say in lots of different situations. If he can't repeat us yet, that's verbal imitation, then that's one of the key things you need to be working on right away. If your child um, is not even close to being able to imitate something verbally, then there's other things you can do too, like um, other ways of communicating, like through pecs or whatever. Mm -hmm. But try to find immediately a way for them to communicate their basic needs yeah. and wants. That is absolutely necessary if they're not doing that. And in, and in all ways of communicating, you know, even if it's a child who has no sounds, they're making no utterances whatsoever, we're still going to need imitation because if we're going to do the pecs, they're going to have to imitate pointing to things yes. to be able to understand. So there's your verbal imitation, which you can't really make a child verbally imitate something you can try but they just might not and you can't make their mouth move so then you go to some other system for them to communicate through pecs or something but then you're going to now have to teach them gross motor imitation okay um, which would be like you know following different actions and so once they can do those things that's really nice because now when we're teaching all sorts of other skills whether it be motor skills you can do it through imitation play skills through imitation um, you know getting them to learn their language they're going to imitate what you're supposed to say vocally and things like that so Imitation is a huge pivotal skill that if they don't have that, then that's a, a okay. definite must. I'm going to guess that compliance is going to be a huge pivotal the skill as well. The other pivotal skill is compliance, oh. yeah. So I if, feel like I won the lottery. 
right. I got it right. So if they don't um, even like follow a simple instruction or can't, um, won't come and sit down with you when you ask them to or whatever, and they're kind of all over the place, yeah. um, then compliance is one of the things you're going to need to work on as well. And it's important that in the beginning when you're starting, you need to keep things really fun. So when you're first starting out, they're not really used to all these demands being placed on them. This is a new thing for them. Right. It's like we're starting therapy, and when we start it, it's very intensive. And in order to, for, to actually teach your child something, you don't just kind of sit around and wait. You know, you've got to get in there and do it. And so what you're ultimately ending up doing is putting a lot of demands on your child because you're asking them things and to do things. And you might try to make it as fun as you can and maybe let them take the lead in certain situations so that it's they're very motivated and stuff. But still, no matter what, that demand is present. And um, there can be a bit of a, like protest against that because it's all new. So make sure you have strong reinforcers when you first start. And um, make sure that you spend time um, just playing with the child for a little while with the reinforcers present and making it fun and making them want to kind of be with you yeah. um, and want to learn. And when you're first starting, you need to evaluate what there are, what are the barriers to the child's learning. Because, for example, um, some kids have major severe challenging behavior. Like if they're head banging or something, then the idea that you're going to sit down with them and teach them all these things um, is probably not very good idea at the moment. Like head banging once in a while, maybe no big deal if it's kind of a light head bang, but if they're doing it a lot and it's hard and there's a chance of any injury, then that's a big deal. And so sometimes we don't even work on any skills until we deal with the challenging behavior first. Yeah, I could just hear my grandmother saying, you're putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Right? Because so many times as a parent, if we make our wish list, uh, what do we, uh, you know, I want my child to speak, I want my child to do this, I want me to do that, you know, and you, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a three-year-old or you're talking about a 16-year-old. If you come and say, I've got a teenager and I want my child to be able to do long division, my teenage child. Um, great. But if you don't have that compliance that she was just talking about, or you've got some other behavior that is so challenging that like it's aggression or something. Yeah. Your child yeah. is, is having anger issues that are so over the top that you're afraid that they're going to hurt themselves or hurt you. You're not going to get to the long division today. Yeah. You really got to prioritize and look at that and go, this is the, this is the, piece of the puzzle that has to come first. We got to get this under control and we have to gain the compliance. And then when you're able to do the long division, it's not going to be this battle. It'll be okay. And your child will, you'll have trust between the two of you and they'll be able to do that much yeah. easier. Yeah. And the type of challenging behavior we're just talking about, it sounds very severe. It's aggression or self-injury, but some kids engage in such high levels of stereotypy that they can't even learn anything anyways because they're not attending. So like maybe a child who does um, uh, like vocal stereotypy where they're just making noises, oh, yeah. whatever, or something out of the corner of their eyes maybe or something. There's no chance that when you're trying to get them to look at you and do something that they're even attending to you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's just going to decrease their attending. So we have to um, find out if there's any major barriers like that, and that needs to be a big focus of treatment. doesn't mean you can't work on other things. It just means make that one of the biggest focuses of what you're working on until you get it under control. And I should say that in our next hour, when we have Dr. Tarbox here, we're going to be talking about how we get those kinds of behaviors under control very specifically, about how those repetitive uh, behaviors that seem to be automatically reinforced, what the research is on it, and what the, the really proven techniques are of getting those kind of behaviors under control. Um, 
But I think it's it's just so key that we're talking about this, about this is how we start, this is how we, we progress. Because uh, I think that's really, really hard. I, I will tell you that when I couldn't wait, once I found out about ABA and how effective it was, and I found out that we were going to get funding for it, I could not wait until we started. And there's a little bit of a lag time. You have to fill out your paperwork and you got to wait, you know. And then finally, that first therapist came to the door and I, and I was like, hallelujah, because my whole <laughs> life is going to change, right? And, and it was a real step back for me because they said, we have to get a whole bunch of things under control before we start doing all the things that you're thinking. Because I thought he was going to be speaking in the first week and we were going to be like, you know, woohoo, uh, right? I mean, yeah. I did. And, and, they, uh, and I had seen all the videos with the table and, my, you know, I was like, I can't wait to see how they're going to get him to sit in a chair because my child couldn't. He <laughs> Yeah. He had to have and vests that's, on. that's where you have to start. If they can't even sit down, you have to start there. Well, and and they couldn't even start there is my point. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I shudder to tell you because you'll think, oh, no, I couldn't possibly make it through this. But it was almost three months that they worked on compliance and eye contact. Three months in the beginning where they worked on those two things, and I kept on saying, when are we going to work on other stuff? When are we going to work on other yeah. stuff? But the truth I is... I think I remember you saying they worked a lot on, like, rapport building, too. Oh. And just kind of playing with them and making it fun. Completely. Yeah. Because my, that's, my child did not have those skills. He didn't have the skills to sit down and play with somebody. He didn't have the skills to imitate somebody. There was no eye contact that was happening. He wasn't interested in anybody else. And it, and I, you know, I was hemming and hawing and standing with one, you know, hand on my hip going, you know, we're not moving fast enough. But I'll tell you, it was almost three months later, and they, you know, we, we ordered a, a table, a specific table, um, and they they got the chair and they got the table, and my child came over and sat down, and, and they started running programs, and he was the happiest little camper. And if we had not taken that time in, I don't think we would have gotten where we got. You might really have gotten aggression and all sorts of things, I know protesting to try to get out of it. I yeah. know he would have. And he was banging his head in those first couple of weeks um, and throwing things at the therapist. I mean, they really, <laughs> I always talk about, I always look at Ryan Bergstrom to see on his forehead. I know he's got a scar from where my child hit him with a geo track, uh, a railroad track thing. He just whacked him one good. Uh, those blessed therapists who took the time. And that was what my individual child needed. Every child child is not going to need that. But it's important that you meet the child where they are yeah. and do the precursors so that you can, and he flew. Once they got it going. Oh my goodness. He, you know, was mastering programs in a day. It was amazing what he could do once they got the compliance. But I had watched him for six months go to an early start program where they couldn't even get him to make uh, uh, the sign for a cookie. That's what they worked on for six months and they couldn't get him to do it because he was screaming and throwing himself on the floor. And my husband and I would sit there and cry. Like, what are you gonna do? But this is what, this is what works. So wow. make sure that you get those things in place and it will be worth the investment. It's about investing the time. Yeah. Okay, anything else that we should be mindful of? The last thing I would just say is we already kind of talked about, you know, going through a progression and the progression is going to be age-based, it's going to be level-based and then within each thing there's you got to think about if there's any prerequisites. Okay. But a lot of times prerequisites are taken care of if you're starting at a younger age or at an earlier level, but whatever you're working on just kind of think about, okay, here's the skill I'm trying to teach 
in order for someone to do this, what are the things do they need to be able to do first? Yeah. Just logically think that way about everything. And, and it's so incredible to have you here, to have you as an expert here and explaining this to us because the truth of the matter is, is that she's given you all of this in the skills program. That if you choose to go with the skills program, it's, it's all there for you. That it, you go into a lesson, it will tell you what the prerequisites are. You yeah. don't have to go research it anywhere. It will tell you the age level. It will tell you the level level. Uh, the level, skill level. level. The skill level on the <laughs> lesson. All of those things are there for you in the skills program so that you don't have to guess and you don't have to get out uh, another device to be Googling something on a separate device than the one that you're working on. Yeah, and the assessment is linked and everything like that. So it's really yeah. incredible the work that you did and that you oversaw to make that happen. Uh, and, and I... And I know that the original idea was for you to, to do that for therapists so that therapists could use it and have access to things that much quicker, but that you kept a mind on if there is a parent someplace who doesn't have access, we want them to be able to understand it as well. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece of work that you've done. Oh, that's great. Thank you. It is a beautiful piece of work. And I encourage all of and you. And lots of people at CARD contributed. Absolutely. Lots. Probably an army. Absolutely. <laughs> but you led that team and it's, a, and it's a beautiful piece of work and I want to encourage people you should go and check it out and see the ways that it can be useful to you in your home. Go to skillsforautism.com. Any last words on, on where we start and how we start? Uh, I think that sums it up for now. <laughs> okay. Make sure that you have a good assessment, though, so you don't just start because you take the risk of starting in the wrong place and leading to frustration. Make sure that you are being mindful of when you're teaching a skill if your child has all the prerequisites yep. or you will be frustrated. It's a, it, the, Both those things are good, good investments. We thank you so much for being here and always being an awesome resource for us. And if you guys have any questions for Dr. Nadowski, you can send those in. She's here with us on Thursdays on a regular basis, helping us to get to that real progress. It's amazing. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. All right. We are going to take a break and go to the A word. This is that amazing ongoing documentary being made by the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And it follows Jack Riley, a little boy who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. And in real life, Jack Riley is five years old and going to school now and doing so well. Uh, but we're journeying back to the very beginning. This is like week two of when he had started therapy and we're seeing what it's like in the the beginning and how they're building rapport and getting to the point where they can get that compliance, they can get that eye contact. You should know that Jack Riley um, is his his entire case is in skills. His therapist, his entire team, and his parents use skills to be able to deliver these things to him as well. Just exactly what we've been talking about. So take a look. This is the A word. for it. It's just automatic to him. Hey, let's go find something better to play. Do you want to play with Legos? Say open. Open, yeah. Open. So we just redirect it so that it doesn't become just a habit later. 
Do some talking. Say ba. Good job. Say ga. Good job. There you go, buddy. We're moving along programs quite quickly, more than we anticipated. This is the Acoats program we started with him. Say ba. Say pa. To get him to begin talking, he needed to start with the basics. Every step is broken down to make the end goal manageable. The first step is making simple sounds. The idea is that once he has the sounds, he will be able to mix them together to enunciate words. Words give power. They are used to label, acquire, inquire. The end goal is to have these words come together to create sentences, to create conversation. Say what he wants, what he thinks, what he feels. or the words that he's trying to say. Can you say basketball? And even basketball. His, his ball is better now. It used to be ga consistently. He says ba. He said ba today, yeah. Spaghetti. <laughs> One version of it. You see, like spaghetti. What's that? You see, moon. Yeah, that's the moon. That's right. And... His spontaneous language has increased just one week of therapy. Hey, Jack Riley, come here. Come look at my book. Or you want to look at my guitar? You want to look at my guitar? It's right here. I'm on it. Look. Tar. Good job. Welcome back. That is the A word and we want to encourage you to watch this series on their very own YouTube channel and in that way you can do it. We, I love to watch them every week here, take one episode and kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, armchair quarterback it and, and show you some of the different things. I guess color commentary. That's what I want to do is the color commentary of, of what it is that you see. Um, but you do have access to the full series on your own, completely for free. Uh, you can go to their YouTube page and, and cycle through and see the different times that they were working on different, uh, different lessons. But, uh, 
I especially love these early ones because there's so much new that's being introduced and uh, they go through some of the jargon and show you exactly what it is that they're doing. Uh, you know, at this point, Jack Riley's two weeks in and you can you can see the difference between his program and my son's program because my son was doing the things that Jack Riley is doing three months later. Now, this is a great illustration of what happens when you wait. Uh, I talk to you all the time about early intervention and how important it is to catch autism and start early intensive behavioral intervention as soon as you possibly can. So my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, and we started the whole process. We, we didn't know about ABA, but about three months later, we started the process for ABA, and it took about another three months before we could actually start. So it was about two weeks after his third birthday. And by that point, he had had all of that time in which he had a bunch of learned behaviors and he was that much further behind. So we had to take the first three months with my, and that's not going to be the case for every three-year-old, right? But for my son, we had to take the first three months and really core work on that eye contact and that compliance uh, and rapport with the therapist so that he could, and, and a couple of play skills so that he could play with them and interact with them. Uh, now, Jack Riley diagnosed instead of at two and a half at two. So by the time he was two and a half, which the, was the point that my son was diagnosed, Jack Riley was already getting therapy. So they didn't have to take three months with him to work on compliance. They had to, you know, I mean, they're, they're working on it as they go along, but he's he's not as far behind as my son was because he they caught it earlier. Now imagine every single day earlier that you can push back. Can you, there's fewer things that you have to work on to get caught up. And the first thing is getting the child ready to learn and then it's about getting the child caught up, right? Um, so this is why it is so important. Now, we never advocate, and I'm not trying to compare uh, Jem and Jack Riley at all, just comparing starting at different times and what the trajectory can or uh, can be. But there is, there is no guarantee um, of where a child will get progress-wise, uh, except that we know that statistically, the earlier we start, the better the potential of the outcome, right? So I, I love that Jack Riley is able to start so early. Early, so that at two and a half, he's already realizing, you know, and, and getting that opportunity to work on a program like ECOICS. Imagine if we could start that with somebody who isn't yet two. I know that's hard and it's really hard to get doctors to diagnose before the age of two, but it's not impossible. It is being done on a fairly regular basis now. So if you know somebody who has a concern about a child in their life, I hope you're urging them and telling them about all the hopeful things. And I hope that you point to the A word and say, hey, take a look at this and take a look at, because people will poo-poo and say, oh, they're just a little behind. Give them a chance and they'll catch up on their own. Well, I guess that works for some people, but why would we risk it? 
Why, why, why would we risk it, right? Uh, so absolutely watch this series, The A Word. And, you know, they have their own Facebook page and you have an opportunity to interact with the family that you can write in. They are lovely about the, uh, they both will, will post things from time to time and they share things and they will get back to people. They absolutely love it when they hear from families about what they're enjoying watching and how you relate to it. So I encourage you to reach out and check them out on their Facebook page as well. We've had the benefit of having them in the show before. We'll continue to do that at some point. And one of the more recent episodes of the A Word, uh, Autism Live and the A Word went off to the LA Zoo together. So it was a play date. Uh, my son, Jem, uh, who was 10, and Jack Riley, who was five, went off to the zoo together, and it was so cute. I can't believe we haven't had another play date. Uh, but on this particular play date, we brought cameras, too. Uh, it was awesome, absolutely awesome. So if you want to see my kid and Jack Riley interacting, that is also on their YouTube page for the A Word. We're going to take a break, and we're going to be back to talk about funding. Stick with us. Hi guys, welcome back to Smarty. It's January and a whole new year has gone by. To commemorate that, Autism Live and Smarty have decided to give you a template to make your very own time capsule. The materials you'll be needing are glue, a jar, photos, keepsakes, pen, and a template you can print from facebook.com slash autism live. Here's the template that I've printed out from our Facebook page. Depending on the skill of your child, they can do this independently or you're going to help them fill out all the questions. Once you have finished filling out the time capsule sheet, I've left two spaces on the top, one for a school photo, one for a family photo. Feel free to glue an image there. Now that I've glued the photos onto my sheet, now I'm gonna grab my jar and start filling it up with all the things I would wanna remember from the year that just passed. I would say include photos, mementos, toys, things that are gonna be really important to you at this time and moment that you'll be excited to see later in the future. Once you're done filling up your jar with all the things that were important to you for the year 2013, you're gonna to wanna to seal it up. And it's up to you for how long you wanna keep it locked up. Time capsules are a great way to remember where you have been and where you're going. So, I hope you really enjoy this activity, and until next time, craft on, guys. Can you see me flying by your side? Welcome back to Autism Live. I promised that we would get an opportunity to talk a little bit about funding. You know, it's so interesting to me, uh, how much of funding is about what your mindset is and your willingness to take action. Uh, now, I don't say that lightly because I know that all of you who are watching have different financial situations that are going on and some of them are very real and very dire. And I'm not suggesting that you're in fi financial di financially dire situations because your mindset was wrong, okay? I don't, wanna, I don't want that to be misconstrued. But... Your ability to fund treatment for autism appears to be directly related to a willingness to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Uh, 
I, because there, I, there, I don't think there's any scientific other way to explain it. It's just sort of something magical happens. Um, and I, and I want to give you an example and we'll, we'll see how well of an example it is. My, my, my son right now is studying all about the colonies and the 13 colonies and how they were settled. And we've been having lots of conversations in my home about how that happened and why it happened and why did people leave Europe and why did they get into rickety boats and cross the Atlantic? Atlantic in what had to have been the most dire circumstances. I mean, you know, to me, it just seems like complete craziness to get on a boat and say, I'm going to go someplace that I can't look at a picture of and I, and there's nothing that's going to be there when I get there. There's not going to be a grocery store. It boggles my mind. <laughs> and I like to think of myself as having an adventuresome soul, but I guess not, right? How on earth, and, and, and we had to sit there the other day and come up with some real things, why people would be so motivated to leave and, and come to someplace else that they weren't really sure about. And, you know, I got to say that funding for autism is a lot the same way that it seems overwhelming. Like when you look at the bottom line of what early intensive behavioral intervention is going to cost across two years, let alone four or more years, I, 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 can't, I couldn't even look at that. I would not look at that because you're, you're, it's so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. And the truth of the matter is that there is no one that I know who could just write a check for it. Uh, I'm sure that there is a very small percentage of people on the earth. And if you are one of those people, bless you. And I'm going to ask you to pay it forward. Um, when you have the opportunity to. But most of us, there is absolutely no earthly way that we could afford that. Um, so what do we do? We stay home and say, yeah, we're not going to do it. We could, and I know people who have. I really early on was so frightened. I didn't, I insisted on not knowing the numbers, but I was frightened at what I thought the numbers were. And can I tell you, I thought that they were much the numbers that I had in my head that were overwhelming, I was thinking $30,000. And that was so frightening to me that I was physically ill about it. When in fact, the number was probably closer to $330,000 worth of therapy that my son was going to need, uh, much closer to that number. That would have put me over the edge, right? But other people said to me, don't pay attention to that. Start taking action on where can you get money from? What are the possibilities? Make lists. And there are lots of funding possibilities that are out there. We've talked before about start with your insurance and work your way down. Um, but there are lots of different funding sources out there. You're going to have to piecemeal it together in most circumstances. You're not going to get all the funding in one place. I know we all want it to be the yay insurance is paying for ABA therapy. Oh, how fabulous. Except that for even those of you who have that wonderful, wonderful resource, and not all of you do, but for those of you who do, you went, oh, this is so fabulous. And then you found out that you were going to have to pay $5,000 in deductibles this year. <gasps> right? Um, but that is not as overwhelming as you think, because there are other resources available for that. So you really have to make a list for yourself about what do you have available to you? What do you know about? And where are you going to search for more information? Uh, right now, 
you still have today and tomorrow to apply for a grant from Autism Care and Treatment Today. Go to act-today.org. Now they have four different times in the year when you can apply for a grant and they will give up to $5,000 for uh, what you need. Now you might need $5,000 to cover your deductible or your copay. Well, that you can ask for a grant for that amount of money. $5,000 for that. Uh, you will have to fill out a lot of paperwork as we talked about with Nancy Allspot Jackson yesterday, but it's possible that you can do that. For someone else, it might be that they need $5,000 to go and have a different assessment done, or they want less than $5,000 because they want to be able to subscribe to skills for the next year. After everything we just talked about with Dr. Nadowski, they're saying, you know, I, I really want to be able to have access to this. And, the, and you can. Uh, grants have been given. Many grants have been given for skills. Maybe you just want to get training through IBT. Maybe you need some equipment for your child because your your child um, needs a fence because they're running away. You, you can see that there are lots of different sources that are out there that it will fund different kinds of things. There are some grant programs who will only fund things that are medical in nature. There are other grant programs who will only fund things that are um, educationally related. Right? There are other fund programs that only fund technology like iPads. So use your resources well. If you know that your insurance company is going to pay for X amount of ABA, hit them with that bill. Find somebody like Act Today who will pay for the copay part of it. Go to the people who give grants for iPads and have them do the technology. It's like sewing a quilt together. But when I tell you that you will not be the first person, or the 100th person or the 1,000th person who has done it, I'm not lying to you. So many parents over the last 30 years have found the way. Just like those early settlers who believed and said, I'm going to get on that rickety boat and I'm going to cross that ocean because I believe there's something better on the other side. I know I'm going to meet some hardship on the way, but when I get there, I have a belief. I don't know how they did it, but clearly they did because so many of us are here in the United States and we wouldn't have been otherwise. Ancestors of mine got on that boat. <laughs> I have nothing but respect for them. Uh, you know, and I'm telling you that many others have gotten on the funding for autism boat before you and they've made it to the other side. So I hope that inspires you to take action today. I promised you that there was something you could do today. Today and tomorrow, you still have the ability to apply for a grant from Autism Care and Treatment Today, act-today.org. There are other grants and we're going to be featuring them. I'm working on a blog right now just on funding sources to be able to share that with you. But get her done. You will save yourself so much money and you will save your stomach lining and you might save your, you might save your family and you will certainly help your child to make progress when you take this seriously. You can do it. I guarantee you, you can. All right, let's take a break and we're going to come back with more Autism Live after these messages.
Nick was diagnosed with autism in 1994 at the age of four. He received five years of therapy from CARD that eventually faded out. Nick recovered from autism in 2001. This song I'm about to perform is by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. CARD helped many patients, myself, to recover to this level now. Cheryl and Mike's son, Jack Riley, was diagnosed with autism in 2010 at age two. He's been receiving therapy from CARD for a year and a half. Today, Cheryl, Mike, and Nick meet for the first time. I'm curious as to what you remember. I certainly remember pretty long sessions, and I'd be frustrated if I would make mistakes. I mean, I remember one time I had to count a row of six blocks, kept messing up. That was really difficult. No. I need it. I need it. At what point do you recall hearing the word autism? I was able to figure out what I was going through without anybody having to tell me. Our concern is if it's a big secret to hide. I don't know what, what we can no say. No one ever told you, you just, you just yeah. discerned But it. the reason I'm comfortable talking about this is because I felt it. In therapy, I began, I certainly began questioning why you know, people reacted as they did based on what I said and did. Particularly because of difficulties I was facing in school, I just, it got to a point where I wanted to understand why it was. So I entered while still um, going through therapy and still showing significant signs of mental condition. Even after I'd improved to a significant extent, there were those who still gave me a hard time for it. Did it hurt your feelings when you were in school, the way it that did. kids... Oh, absolutely, because it was bullying, it was harassment. That scares us. That, they called me names. They, I was basically, when it came to sports and PE, I was usually the last kid chosen. Did yeah. teachers intervene? Um, fortunately, not really. I mean, it was just so hard for me to talk about it because of how ashamed I felt. You know, certainly the first few years of elementary school, I don't think I really had the most supportive teachers. I mean. I remember, I, my mom told me how my first grade teacher once said that she thought I had no chance of getting anywhere and going away to college and out of state and being the only person um, for my old school district has made a difference. It's just really improved my you social life tremendously because that. I got to be me because with nobody knowing about my past, I wasn't faced with these um, misconceptions and prejudgments. Do you tell people, new people that you meet? No, that's not the first thing I will ever No, I would hope it's not the first thing. And you know what? In most cases, I never do, because while it's a part of my past, it doesn't define who I am. I mean, just thinking back, just thinking back to the very beginning, pretty much each episode, autism, what, not who. I want to tell you right now, though, I'm so impressed with you. Likewise. I want you to know that. Likewise. I mean, um, your, your son really inspires me just good, as much, good, because... Good, good. I'll tell you anytime. I, I adore him, and, yeah. and, and but I'd be lying if I, I, I said it wasn't challenging. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, it's 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 cost me my 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 the stuff that uh, you know, like career things, mm -hmm. goals. I don't care about those anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I work at night. I'm tending bar. Mm -hmm. um, not that I'm too good for that. I'm just saying that's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I want him to have a chance. Right. And uh, you, you inspire me now. Thank you. The feeling goes both ways. The feeling's mutual. Before you leave today, we would like you to meet Jack. I would love to. This is Nick. Hi, Nick. Hey, Jack Riley. All right, should we try this? I'm gonna try to take a picture of all of you. One, two, and three.
Welcome back to Autism Live. We're so thrilled that we have with us in the studio Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. He is the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and the director of the Autism Research Group. Amazing, amazing things that you do. We're so thrilled and lucky that we get to have you on Thursdays. It's always a pleasure. Well, and we have lots of questions that have come in from parents, but I promised that one of the things that we were going to talk about is behaviors that prevent our children from being able to access other things. Sometimes okay. it's those repetitive and restrictive behaviors, those things that a lot of times we end up saying are automatically reinforcing. Uh -huh. So maybe we should start with a brief discussion about what what's meant by automatically reinforcing. Sure. Okay. So automatically reinforcing behaviors are behaviors that you do because they produce their own satisfaction or their own reinforcement. Um, so self-stimulatory is sort of the more common, less mm -hmm. technical term. Or people um, say stimming. Stimming, right. Which is, which is short for self-stimulatory. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's for sort of the slang term. Yes. Um, but basically it just means behaviors that produce their own satisfaction or their own reinforcement. Um, everybody does them. It's totally normal to do them. The only thing that makes them challenging for people on the spectrum is the particular way in which they do them or the amount of time they spend doing them. So for example, what do you and I do uh, that produces its own satisfaction? We might read a novel, right? Mm -hmm. Lay on the couch and read a book. We might watch TV, right? No one's standing next to the TV saying, good job, you know, <laughs> while you watch TV, right? <laughs> right. Um, you don't get any external reward from watching TV. It just feels good. You like it, it makes you feel better, you do yeah. it, okay? Um, when you have a mosquito bite, you might scratch it, mm -hmm. right? Um, a massage uh, just feels good, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, eating food just feels good, right? Yeah. It produces its own satisfaction. So there's tons of automatically reinforced behaviors that are completely fine and totally normal and not a problem at all. When it becomes problematic for folks on the spectrum is when, like I said, when it uh, when the particular form of the behavior is so different or so aberrant that it makes the child really stand out, right? So Well, and not only that, I'm thinking there are some things that if a child is doing like flapping hands, right. then how are we going to get to handwriting? Right, exactly. How yeah. would we ever... Yeah. And and this is a this is a tough subject for a lot of people because at some point parents think, well, this is what calms him down or this right. is what soothes him and I and I hate to take that away. Right. But are you know, and, and there's always a decision that has to be made of are we going to work on this behavior? Right. But when it's preventing the child, when the child is doing this and looking down doing this, so they're not gonna make eye contact with a friend, they're not gonna play with another kid in the right. sandbox, they're right. not gonna learn handwriting, then do we make the decision and say, we're going to take this behavior right, on. Right. And you know, like I always try to point out on your show, you know, the standards that we use for kids on the spectrum really should be about the same as the standards we use for anybody else, which is, for example, if you have a typically developing kid who has some kind of habit that's automatically reinforced that they want to do constantly, mm -hmm. do you let them do it constantly just because it makes them happy? No, right? So the classic example is video games. Most yeah. typically developing kids, if you let them play video games as much as they want, it would probably be 10 hours a day, yeah. right? Because it's fun. It feels good. Why not, right? Yeah. They don't know that that's not the best thing for them, or even if they do know they don't care that's right. what they want to do right they want to do. so what do you do with a typically developing kid who who wants to play video games too much you might make a goal for what seems like a reasonable amount of video game time and that's how much they get each day as long as they're you know a good citizen of the family for you know for that day let's say if you're polite and respectful to your parents you get video games at the end of the day for whatever whatever your family thinks is reasonable half an hour an hour okay. every family's different same thing for kids on the spectrum if they want to engage in repetitive behavior that feels good you don't have to completely take that away and you don't have to say 
say no, you don't get the thing that makes you happy. It's just you have to ask yourself questions like, well, what's a reasonable amount of time you can spend doing that? So if right now your child is spending about three hours a day rocking and hand flapping, you have to ask yourself, is that a reasonable amount of time? Or like you said, are there other yeah. things that, that that's preventing your child from doing, like socializing or like engaging in other more appropriate leisure skills? Um, that doesn't mean your child can't then also go to his bedroom at the end of the day and rock and engage in hand flapping for a yeah. while. Why not? That's his time, right? Yeah. His personal time. Um, but when you're trying to do other things like educational or social activities, it, if it's interfering in those, then that's a sort of a common sense, reasonable standard for when and where you might want to decrease that behavior. Okay. Now, for some of our kids, they've got a whole host of different behaviors. Sure. Um, that they've got vocal stereotypy going on where they're making all kinds of noises. They got some kind of gesture going on. They got a bunch of different things. Um, so I, I, I wonder if you could say a little bit about how do we decide what to start with first? Or do we take them all on together? Are they all equal and even? What's How do we prioritize? Right. So um, that's kind of a tough one, right? And it's going to totally depend on the child. It's going to depend on how much help you have, right? So if you have your child is in an ABA program, uh, let's say 20 to 40 hours a week of one-to-one, -one, that's their job is to figure this stuff out, right? It's not your job. You should be involved in the entire process of planning and goals and all that stuff, but it's their job to do it. Um, so, and they have time to do it, set aside to do that. Um, and so at that point, you would kind of prioritize. You might say, well, which ones are interfering with learning during the ABA therapy the most? And let's try to decrease those and increase the amount of time spent uh, paying attention to learning or teaching situations, right? Um, so that would be the first priority. And usually an ABA provider will pick maybe two or three different forms of stereotypy and, you know, try to decrease those. Um, but for a parent, it might be quite a different story altogether. I mean, you might say, well, it's not so much during teaching time, it's during like after school time or evening time mm -hmm. or hanging out with the family on weekend days. Yeah. You know, that's uh, kind of when they downtime, wind down. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so again, you might ask yourself, what's a reasonable amount of time that I should let my child engage in this stereotypy? Mm -hmm. And then outside of that, what else can I get my child to do? And the key with any behavior, if you want to change a person's behavior and get them to do something less, the key is to give them something else to do that's meaningful, productive, and produces its own satisfaction, right? Exactly. Or produces some kind of meaningful satisfaction or outcome to the individual. So if it's a child uh, with autism engaging in self, uh, automatically reinforced stereotypy, you better give them something else to do with their time instead of that that's meaningful. Okay, but it's got to be meaningful to them. Meaningful not to the child, not to meaningful parents. to you necessarily. And right. therein lies the rub, right? Because right, that can be a very difficult thing to figure out. Right. Okay, so we are going to take a short break, and you guys can, at home can be writing in questions. Uh, you know that Dr. Tarbox can never give child-specific advice, but if there's a behavior that you particularly have a question about, we can talk about it in general, and it can help to lead uh, to you getting help and support in other areas. So now's a great time to be writing in if you have questions. Uh, but we're going to come back and talk about some examples maybe of how you take on and what, what it looks like when you've found the behavior that you say, we want to phase this behavior out and how you, an example of how you give something meaningful to the child. So stick with us. Hello activists, let's talk about step seven 
recognize your gifts and abilities. Whatever gifts and abilities you had before autism entered your life, you have them now. And I bet you've developed some that you didn't even know you had. Those gifts and abilities are gonna help you in your journey of parenting a child with autism spectrum disorders. Maybe you're a born researcher, teacher, negotiator, or organizer. Well, you're gonna need all of those talents and you could find a whole new calling. That's what happened to me. If you had told me 20 years ago that I was gonna leave behind a career as a television producer to work as an autism advocate and activist, I would have said, you're nuts. If you don't think you have any special gifts or abilities, ask someone who loves you. They'll tell you what they are. I guarantee you, you have them. What's your special gift? Find it, use it for yourself, for your child, for the good of all concerned. Until next time, keep the faith. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here right now with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, and he is truly an expert in the field of autism, has been working with children on the autism spectrum for quite a while now. He's the head of research and development at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders and the director of the Autism Research Group. So a great person to go to with these questions. I was just saying during the break, my goodness, I have so many questions because I feel like we've really come across the meat of, of, of what we want to know about. When, a, when a, a child or someone else is engaging in behaviors that are restrictive and are repetitive in nature and they're they're preventing that person from being able to contact things that we want them to contact what we do about it now you were saying that you know we don't necessarily have to have this behavior go away that we can have them give them an opportunity have some time in which they can engage in this behavior when it's not interfering with other things we've had temple grandin on the show before talking about the fact that she loved compulsively to spin this metal plate on the end of her bed and her mother who was a, a, a brave and brilliant woman from another time uh, knew enough to be able to say to her temple you can do that one hour a day you go and you do that in your bedroom we'll close the door and you can spin that plate but that's it the hour's over and then you're done and you know and temple understood those were the rules this is how long i can do this and and she still talks about how much she loved spinning that plate it was a great time um so but you were saying that you know there are some things that we can do when we've identified a behavior and we've said this is the behavior that we want to work on and and how do we begin to know you, you mentioned being able to find a behavior that takes its place, that's meaningful to that right. individual. Right. Give us an example. That's a tough one. It okay. is a tough one. So in, in the very simplest cases, there's an alternative behavior that's more socially appropriate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and is more sort of adaptive or positive for the child and that the kid is going to love. And all you have to do is just sort of show it to them and they'll do that instead, right? Okay. And so uh, during the break, you mentioned something about uh, a kid who does this all the time. Well, give him drums and drumsticks and now he's playing the drums. Way right. more appropriate, right? right? And it turns into a hobby or a musical talent, which right. is awesome. That's great. And, and that would be the first thing that you try is, what's what is the kid doing that that we want to decrease and let's find a different behavior that is going to produce similar type of satisfaction to the child so if it's if it's auditory stimulation or if it's visual stimulation or tactile stimulation you identify something else that's socially appropriate some kind of toy or some kind of activity or some kind of hobby whatever it is art you know arts and crafts uh, you know throwing and catching a ball bouncing on a trampoline running around in the backyard whatever playing catch whatever it is but um, something that's more socially appropriate that produces the same type of sensory stimulation okay. as the inappropriate behavior and and 
give that to the child and encourage them to do it. Uh, prompt them to do it, you know, praise them, whatever. Show them how to use the, the new activity, whatever it is. And cross your fingers, okay? And if that works, great. That's What really happens lucky. when that becomes the obsession? Well, okay, so then what you want to do is have multiple different activities, okay. right? But okay. even so, like being obsessed with playing the drums is a whole lot better than being obsessed with pounding a table. That's true. Right? I mean, it That's still true. could be too loud and it still could be annoying, but you could even get an electronic drum set and have right. earphones, right? So it's not even too loud. And again, you don't want your kid only playing drums eight hours a day every day, right? right. But it's, it's still a good step in the right direction. Well, I'm just thinking at some point the child has to stop playing the drums and go to school and take the right. math class, Absolutely. Right? right? Right. So they can't do that all the time. Right. But like in Temple's case, Temple talked about, you know, she knew she was going to get that hour and she knew that it was not going to be interrupted. So she looked forward to that and eventually would stop obsessing right. on doing it at other times. Right. And that's and that's another uh, a great procedure that um, I actually hadn't heard the Temple Grandin story. But um, oh, but there is some research on this and it's called uh, bringing the uh, self-stimulatory or stere uh, stereotypic behavior under stimulus control, okay. meaning there's specific situations in which the child is allowed to do it and not any other time. So okay. you basically tell the kid, look, under these circumstances, go to town, just go for it, as much as you want, okay? But when those circumstances are not in place, that behavior's not gonna work. We're gonna okay. have to do something different, okay? So there's a lot of different ways to do this. Sometimes, uh, some clinicians will use bracelets. So when you're wearing the green bracelet, just go to town, do whatever you want. When you're wearing the red bracelet, it's not gonna work. Okay. And so as soon as the kid starts to do the behavior, when the red bracelet is on, the parent or the clinician <clears throat> will redirect him to something else and, and prevent the behavior from occurring. When the green bracelet's on, go for it. Um, other uh, uh, signals you can use are, you know, being in the bathroom by yourself. When you're in the bathroom by yourself, go to town. Or being in your bedroom by yourself, go for it. Um, or uh, a visual schedule of some kind, right, with okay. different icons for different activities, whatever. You, you know, you get the idea. You have some clear signal to the child that when this signal's in place, do the behavior. And so, you know, in the Temple Grandin case, it's when you're in your bedroom by yourself during this hour, in bed, go for it. Yeah. But that's the only time. Well, and I'm imagining that being very specific and upholding whatever it is that you put into place, because when Temple talks about it, I, I have not gotten to meet Temple's mother, and I really hope to soon, but I can just imagine the way she talks about it. Eustacia was like, this is when it's happening, and this is when it's not happening, right. and there was no wiggle room in that. Right. And I, you know, in that respect, Eustacia is a much better parent than I am, because <laughs> I, you know, with me, I'm like, well, you know, it's Tuesday, and it's four o'clock, and you've been really good, so, right. you know, <laughs> right, and I get right. a little muddy with things, right? right? Or, oh, special circumstances. Yeah. If, but if you want to make it easiest for your child to understand and to discriminate when to do the behavior and not do the behavior, you got to be consistent, right? Okay. Which is what you're saying. The clearer and more consistent you are, the easier it will be for your child to let go of that obsessing and to just say, okay, I know when it's going to happen and I know when it's not. And if they really believe that, and the only way they can believe that is from you following through. Yeah. But if they really believe that, it'll be easier for them to let go of obsessing about it constantly. Okay. Now, ideally, you would work on this with a team. That you would have an of ABA course, yeah. team and, and they would be helping you to do this because I imagine that there's some parents out there who don't have a team. Absolutely. So uh, what would you do if you're the parent and you don't have the ABA team? Uh, what kind of reinforcements would you pull in from a family or what, what would be right. your attack plan? Well, what the, probably any time that you're going to put together a plan for yourself to do with your child, you've got to be realistic about your resources in terms of time, right? And so probably before you do anything else, you have to sit down and ask yourself and you've got to be honest 
with yourself, how much time am I committed to spending on this specific problem? And you got to be realistic. You can't overestimate that because right. then not following through is going to make you feel bad because you didn't right. really do what you said you were going to do and it's not going to work anyways. So be realistic. Is it 10 minutes a day? Fine, right? Okay. 15 minutes a day. Maybe think of it as homework. How much time would you spend uh, helping your kid with homework per day, right? Maybe an hour a day, whatever it is, but be realistic. Maybe you're going to get the grandma to help. Maybe it's going to be the nanny. Maybe dad's going to help. Whatever it's going to be, but be realistic about your resources and make a schedule. And once you have that schedule, you say, okay, 15 minutes a day or an hour a day, but only on Saturdays and Sundays, whatever it is, then you can start to plan what are we actually going to get done in that 15 minutes or what are we actually okay. going to get done in that hour. And it doesn't really require anybody else. It can be just you and your child at first, okay? okay? Uh, but don't forget, for generalization, you are going to need to uh, bring other people in and do it at different times a day and in different rooms and in different settings in order to teach your child that this is a skill, this new habit or this new skill they've learned is something that they can apply across their lives, not just during 10 minutes of stim time or whatever with mom. Okay. So which brings me to my next thing that uh, sometimes, you know, maybe they're working on this at school or you've got therapists who are working on this at home. And we hear this a lot from our families. They'll write in and say, well, my child is able to keep this together at school. We don't have the vocal stereotypy at school, but then they come home and forget it. It's Katie bar the door. Right. Or, you know, they're great with the therapist, the therapists leave and it's mom and dad. And suddenly, you know, it, we're, we're back to square one. Right. What do we do when it's that? How can we as parents get on that and change that equation around? Okay. So the basic way that we look at the world in ABA is the person does what they're doing because of how their environment is structured. Okay. And that's it. Right. And so the reason why your child behaves the way they do during your child's ABA therapy is because of what the ABA therapist does. Yeah. Period. Not a big mystery. No, it's not. It's very straightforward. And yet, you know, we try to overcomplicate things by making up a bunch of explanations like, oh, well, my kid respects them more than me, or my kid gets more frustrated with me than that. Well, you know, fine. All of that could be reasonable. But what it really comes down to is what your ABA therapist does produces your child's behavior with yeah. them, right? And that can be a good thing or a bad thing, right? So if your child's tantruming all the time with your ABA therapist, that means they're doing something that helps your child tantrum all the time, right? right. Uh, or if your child is really well behaved with your ABA therapist, that means the therapist is doing something that produces that great behavior, helps right. your child make those great choices. So the very clear implication for you is if you want your child to act like they do with their ABA therapist, if you want them to act that way with you, you need to act like their ABA therapist, right? And that doesn't mean you have to not be a parent. It just right. means that you need to do the things that the therapist does to produce that change right. in behavior. Is it safe to say, though, it's going to take the parent longer to get that working than it does for the therapist because the therapist comes in and it's a clean slate, whereas the parent, we've, we've done things in the past and have moments in the past that weren't our highest parenting self. Sure, sure. I mean, I'm speaking for it's, myself here. It's possible. Uh, it's possible. Or you could say the opposite, too. You could say okay. that because of all the work your child has done with a therapist, it's actually going to be easier for them to learn to do the same thing with you because well, they build like a foundation, right? <laughs> so honestly, it could go either way okay. and worrying about that either way, you can make a justification for why something's good or why it's bad. At the end of the day, it doesn't really make it's a not, difference. It's not All really you useful. can do, it's not useful, right? All you can do is do the best that you can do, make a commitment to make a behavior change on your part, right. a behavior change that you're going to do, make a commitment that you're going to do it for at least three days. I'm going to do it for at least two weeks, whatever okay. it is, stick with it. 
see if it makes a difference. And and ask for the extra support maybe in of the course. beginning so that you're not going it alone because right. that's tough. It's I mean, very difficult. It's it's tough for me still sometimes when I decide you know we, we you know I always say there's a new sheriff in town sometimes <laughs> where we're not we're doing things a different way than we've done it before when I sort of tighten up things. Um, it's rough and well, I have and to be in a place where I'm ready. It's different your own child. And I'll tell you what you know ABA therapists are no better parents than anybody else. We do the best we can with our kids, but I'll tell you what it's not any easier. It's much easier when it's someone else's kids. Okay. And so you have to give yourself some slack in that sense. Okay. But that doesn't mean you can uh, be any less consistent, right? Okay. It just means you can have some empathy for yourself. Got and some it. compassion for yourself. Okay. But you still got to be just you as consistent. You still need to do it because yeah. it's what's important. Right. For your relationship with your child and for your child's growth and progress. If you want to see your child's behavior change, your behavior has to change. It's that simple. Oh, it's, we have a slide that says that if you want to have anybody else's behavior change, you have to change yours first. That's really true. I kind of hate that slide. <laughs> It's a reality it's check. It's the ultimate and I really don't like taking of responsibility. Right. Right? That's oh, it has to start with me. Yeah. Uh, and that takes energy, but worthwhile. Okay. We have a bunch of questions that, uh, that we have unrelated to this, but we will still take questions related to this. We're going to take a break and come back more with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox after these messages. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace. I'm going to talk a little bit about intensity. IBTE learning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your BIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with that. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here right now with Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. He is the head of the, uh, you're the director of the Autism Research Group and the head of research and development for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And he has been working with children on the autism spectrum for multiple decades now. And we appreciate. Not that old. <laughs> no, I, you're not. Um, I'm just kidding. But, and I actually love the story of how you got started in ABA. And, and I tell it from time to time to remind people because people say, I only want to have somebody who's really experienced come and work with my child and uh, you, you uh, can can we tell just a little bit about the story that you were a college student yeah political science major in college and I uh, just saw uh, an ad on the job board in my college for a tutor for a kid with autism and I thought I went you know go and check it out and it was a mom designing the program herself there were no service providers in the area at all this was rural southern Vermont um, we brought consultants in from out of state that trained us and looking back we did a terrible job but even then we actually helped the kid a lot he really made a lot of progress 
progress. And I just want to point out that, you know, you, you might have somebody come to your door this week who it's their first day doing therapy, but they might become Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, <laughs> right? You don't know um, when people start out. And, and a part of doing ABA, if you're, if you're working with a good quality ABA provider, there are always going to be new therapists sure. coming in and training. And uh, I encourage parents to be a part of that process. It's where you're going to find the therapists that you most want to work with, that work well. Every therapist is not going to work well with every child. Um, so we, and when, uh, at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, they do things called overlaps, where you have your regular therapist who comes and brings a trainee with them. I would learn so much from those sessions. I, I made sure that I had a video baby camera for on for every session so I would listen and they would be explaining things to the therapist. I would learn so much. Um, and I would get to hear that person interact with my child. And so later on, when, when schedules were changing, I would know, oh, I want to ask for so-and-so because I really like them and they have rapport with my child. It's a great process to be a part of. You will learn and grow from it. And it's good for your child, too. It's good. Because then that generalization thing that you were talking That's about, right. they're hearing, you know, the new therapist comes in and doesn't word it exactly the way the other therapist right. did, and that's good yeah, for your different child. different tone of voice, different facial expression. Or even yeah. expressing it in a different way. They right. didn't say right. the SD, right. SD exactly correctly. Right. Woohoo! That's good. Because neither is the checkout at Target. Right, exactly. Right? Right. Uh, it's right. really good for your child. So keep that in mind. I mean, you always want to make sure that they're being trained properly and that you're keeping an good eye on things. Yeah. But uh, it's really good for your child to bring new people in and, and have them work with your child as part of their training. Very good for everybody and leaves a good legacy too. Okay, moving on though. We had a question that came in and I believe it's a follow-up to a question from last week that we had. Hi, Shannon and Dr. Tarbox. My son is three years and two months getting 40 hours of ABA through CARD. My question is, now that he is getting the 40 hours, how much therapy should I be doing? Mm. And what should I be doing? FYI, I have two other kids. Thank you and God bless you both for all the help you provide for us desperate parents. Been there and done that. And you know that's part of why I want to be here is to pay forward the help that I got from people like yourself, that right. you helped us so much. So thrilled that, to be a part of uh, all of that. Okay, so this is, uh, for, first of all, congratulations that they have a full program and that they're getting the right treatment at the right age. That's awesome, right? Yeah, that, you, you're nothing rocking could be better. it. Um, and to, uh, but to answer your question in terms of how much uh, work you can be doing as well, um, honestly, the best outcomes uh, are achieved when families are the most committed and the most involved. Um, and that's challenging for everybody. Honestly, it's easier for the ABA provider if the parents kind of check out because we just do our job, you know? Right. But it doesn't produce the best outcomes. The best right. outcomes are when the parents are very seriously, intensively involved. So um, I always, um, like an early intensive ABA to something like um, training for your first Olympic performance, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's say you have one shot to go to the Olympics, you're an Olympic athlete or hopeful, um, and you've got a few years to train, you've got maybe three or four years to train, um, a three or four year Olympic career, what are you gonna do for those three or four years? Are you gonna do the average amount that most people do, or are you gonna do the absolute most that you can to produce the best uh, possible outcome and maybe even get a gold medal, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just like that. Or going to grad school, when you go to get your PhD, you don't do the minimum, you try to get the absolute right. most that you can out of those four years or five years that you have, the most intensive learning experience of your life, um, to have the best possible outcome, right? Yeah. So 
early intensive ABA for kids with autism is the same thing, except it's unfortunately the whole family is basically training for the yeah. Olympics. Um, so the way that personally that I uh, would like to, or the way that I conceptualize it, and my recommendations is if it's possible, and just ask you, just have this conversation with yourself, if it's possible, is it possible for you to say to yourself, the next three or four years are going to be the most challenging years of my life, and I am going to make many sacrifices. And you know, Olympic athletes, you don't see them eating whatever they want. You don't see them socializing a whole bunch. You don't see them do all the other things that would make a life more full and fulfilling and happy and less stressful. You do see them completely dedicated to this one thing. So is it possible for you to sort of conceptualize your child's treatment a little bit like that? Not to that same level, but kind of like that. Kind of like, maybe it doesn't really matter how much I feel or how I feel too much for the next few years. Maybe it's worth it to be to, to put in an unreasonable amount of effort, an unreasonable amount of work, mm -hmm. so that I can get the best possible outcomes. Now, that being said, don't go crazy, right? Like, take <laughs> care of yourself, right? I'm not right. saying don't have fun right. by any means, um, but every waking moment for your child is a learning opportunity, mm -hmm. right? There's only two, two, uh, two options. Either you're asleep or you're learning something, if you're a human being, okay? Mm -hmm. So when your child's not asleep, they're learning something. And everything that you do in interacting with your child influences that learning, mm -hmm. right? And have fun. Make sure to have fun. Um, and, and, not or, it's not a choice between enjoy life or help your child learn. Right. It's both. It's enjoy life and while you do that, fit in the maximum number of learning opportunities possible. Um, and so the first thing to do is to ask your child's supervisor, what can I do? What homework can I work on for the next two weeks? And how can I... Um, embed these learning opportunities into what I do with my child every day. Yeah. And and I think it's great that you have two other children because as you were saying it does involve the whole family. Right. And you know the families we only had one child and and so I can't speak with any authority to how difficult it is to manage that with other children and I freely admit that but we've had so many people on the show who talk about how they successfully did that and we've I've had the opportunity to interview siblings mm -hmm. and they do have some resentment that I think that's a little bit unavoidable right but the ones that have come through it very successfully and everybody's still close the siblings talk about how they were involved right exactly how they were that you know that it's when they were old enough the parents talked to them about you know this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing mm -hmm. and and you're part of the team that's, that's going right. to make the difference with your brother or your sister and here's how we're going to go about it and it in no way means that you are less than or mm -hmm. less than important and that how important it was to find some niche for the other children where they got good attention for right. whatever that niche was. And I guarantee you that your child's siblings have something that they really care about and they really like doing that would be a great learning opportunity yeah. for your child on the spectrum. Yeah. I guarantee it. Every single family I've ever seen, the older siblings have something they like to do that's yeah. a good learning opportunity. Absolutely. Right? So whatever sport they like to play, whatever game they like to play, there's a way to, to fit that into helping your child generalize whatever social skills, whatever language skills, yeah. waiting skills, whatever it is, there's an opportunity to, to put those two things together and to yeah. have fun with the siblings and involve them yeah. as active members of the team. 
Yeah, and I and I as I look back at things, uh, you know, I feel like we did a pretty good job as parents of immersing ourselves in the time when therapists weren't there, and we went out into the world every opportunity that we could. I feel like we did a really good job of that. But the thing that if I could do it over again, I would do differently is that I would have I would have included my close friends ever so much more than I did. Mm, yeah, I was so worried about what I was doing and if I was doing what was right and and was concerned about that that we really didn't involve much of our family and sure. much of our friends and and I would encourage you to do that as well that's right um, encourage those people have them come and learn what you're doing so that so that suddenly when your child is 10 and you're in their homes it's not a shock to them that's right and you know frankly I think most families find that most people are less judgmental than they expect that they're going to be yeah. you know of course, it's natural that you're doing this ABA thing and it's so intensive and it's so different from how you thought your life would be with your young child that you are going to think, like, what are people going to think of this? Yeah. This looks weird, right? Yeah. But generally speaking, people, I think most people are good. Most people can yeah. see you care about your kid. You're dedicated to your kid and you're doing what it takes to get them better. Um, and yeah, friends and family, for the most part, are going to want to be involved. They'd rather know what's going on yeah. and have your, you know, your cousin, your child's cousin or, or sibling or, or, you know, neighbor over to hang out, you know, yeah. involve them. And of course, there Don't are exceptions. So. There are people who sure. are not going to be helpful, who are not going to be supportive. And it doesn't matter whether you find that on the first day of your child's ABA therapy or on the last day, right. they weren't going to be supportive. They weren't going to be helpful. I think it's actually better to find that out on the second day. So you can say to yourself, we're not going to be talking to this person for a while yeah. and just kind of, you know, don't make it a big deal, but remove yourself from their negative influence right. and move on with the people who are part of your team. Right. Uh, it, I, it's just easier to get it over with. Otherwise, you invest so much money and time and effort into getting along with that person, and then and then later on go, why am I doing that? <laughs> and we've all had that moment. Why am I spending time trying to convince this person when they're not really interested in getting it? And some people won't, and bless them in their ignorance. Yeah, send them on their happy. Different. Remember, my, my phrase always is, other people's opinions of my parenting are none of my business. That's right. None it's of not my not business. not your responsibility. And one other thing, too, before I, you know, because I always kind of yeah. impart upon parents what an opportunity they have and how much time they could be, you know, it, it feels like a big responsibility, right? But at the and it is, and, and you have a major opportunity to make a major difference for your child by being deeply involved in ABA therapy. And, not but, and you need to reward yourself. You yes. deserve it, right? Just, I mean, even if you weren't doing a good job, you deserve a yes. reward, right? Just yes. from the stress alone and the challenging uh, nature of, of parenting a kid on the spectrum, you deserve a reward. But especially if you're putting the time in and you're actively engaged, figure out something you wouldn't normally do for yourself and give it to yourself. I would say okay. at least once a week. Okay. Identify one positive reinforcer for yourself and give it to yourself. Carve out some time to give that to yourself. Even if it seems maybe a little unreasonable to other, to other people, you've earned it. I'm going to try to work that into my life because I think that that's really super duper important and I and I think it's easy for that to get lost. It's very easy. When you go all in and you say I'm all in and priority number one is this, then and you're somewhere around number 45. Right. But you don't need to choose. You can be fully engaged and fully dedicated to your child's uh, treatment and give yourself a little reward too. Okay. 
I'm going to work on that. I don't think I, I don't think I did that uh, as often as I needed to. And but don't I'm count on someone on else to reward you. They're not no, gonna, that, you, that you ship's not coming. It, right, you got to do it for yourself. <laughs> All right. Okay. We had one other question, and we're almost out of time. But earlier, we were talking with Dr. Nadowski about how, uh, where do we start? Right. I love your phrase about where do you, how do you need an elephant one bite at a time? And but I was saying the other day, you know, sometimes I don't know which end of the elephant to start on. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and. Uh, we were talking about all the different things and how important it is to assess and right. then see where the right. deficits are. Somebody right. wrote in and said, what if you didn't get diagnosed until your teen years? Okay. Same thing, sure. isn't it? it the, yeah, there's really no difference. Um, it, it's just a matter of, of kind of seeing where your skill set is at right now, uh, determining goals of sort of what, what matters the most to you. Mm -hmm. And when I say you, I mean both the parent and the teen, right? right. And sit down with your, with your son or daughter and say, what matters the most? What do you want to get out of life right now? What are some yeah. long Long-term goals for you? Um, is it making a friend? Is it um, seeing uh, peers more on the weekends? Is it uh, a, a particular hobby you want to get good at? A particular sport you want to play? Getting better grades? Uh, whatever it is, yeah. identify a few specific goals, and then you identify a few specific skills that you could practice that would get you closer to those goals. So you can be asking the question, "What do you want?" But right. another way of getting at it too is, "What's frustrating to you?" Absolutely. What's yeah. frustrating you right now? Right. What do you feel like you don't get? Right. Absolutely. Uh, and I think a lot of, you could ask that of most teenagers, actually, and it would be very beneficial for them right. because I, I think most teenagers would say, I don't get it how everybody else just managed to feel cool. Right, exactly. I don't get it how this person got to be in this group of friends. Right. Um, but you can target within that you know, frustration, you can target a skill that will help them to be able to do that very Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that doesn't stop in the teen years even. Right. You know, we've met more and more adults who have been diagnosed as adults as Asperger's mm -hmm. and then saying, okay, now I understand how I've been so frustrated all this time. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you can't work on it. Absolutely. And frankly, that applies for folks who aren't on the spectrum as well, Absolutely. kids or adults, right? Wherever we're at today, our skill set can be a little bit better tomorrow. Yeah. We can make goals goals uh, uh, that, that move us closer to our values and closer to our um, outcomes that we want, regardless of who we are. You know what I think about frequently, a show probably two years ago where you talked, to, I had you go through how did ABA come about, the whole history of ABA, and you talked about, uh, and correct me if I'm completely up a tree here, but you talked about that in the beginning, somebody said, this is just a tool that can make the world a better place. Right, exactly right. Yeah. And I, I, I want to get that crocheted on a pillow, <laughs> that ABA is just just a tool that could make the world a better place. That's exactly It right. happens to be really, really effective with our kids on the autism spectrum, but that wasn't what it was designed for. It isn't the only Not thing it all. can be used for. That's right. Uh, really, really remarkable. We've only got a minute and a half here, but anything going on at the Autism Research Group that you want to let people know about? Oh, gee, too much to mention. Um, well, we, did, we, did we talk about the skills validation study? That, that was published we recently. Have we have talked about, about that. that, right? Yeah. I've okay. talked about that with Dr. Grandpashan. I talked about that with you. And yes, so we've, we've talked that one out. Um, lots of other things. Well, uh, we're doing a couple events uh, coming up pretty soon. There's the Ought to Run event in uh, Camarillo. Okay. Uh, that's for the Autism Society of America, Ventura County chapter. Awesome. Um, and I'm actually blanking on the date. I think, it, I think it's March. Uh, I can't actually. No, it might be. 
it's either March or April. I'm not sure, okay. but that's coming up. So we're going to have a booth there. There's a 5K, 10K, 15K run too. Okay. That should be a lot of fun. All right. And next week at the beginning, I'll remind you and we'll have the dates for all of those. But Sounds people good. can go to your website. Absolutely. And find out more. Autismresearchgroup.org. Uh, okay. Um, so great place to go. And while you're there, fill out their survey about what kinds of things you'd like to see research about. Because not everyone's asking you, but they are. All right. Uh, we thank you so much for being here for and for all the wisdom that you impart all the time. It is so appreciated. I can't even begin to tell you. Uh, we are going to close out the show, but I want to remind you that we'll be back next Tuesday. We've got some really exciting topics. As we go into February, we're focusing on inspirational stories from the autism spectrum. So if you have a story that you think is inspirational or you've seen a story or know somebody who has a story, please have them contact us as soon as possible because we're booking up the month and we really want to share in this month it's going to be full of snow and dark for a lot of people with a whole lot of hope from what's really happening in the autism community. So we'll be starting that on Tuesday. We've got some great guests that are going to be with us. And our usuals, again, Dr. Uh, Tarbox will be here, as will Dr. Gramshay and everyone else. So we'll be back. Until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me. Bye-bye for now.